Yeah, buddy. What's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt. Recording from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. This is the week of Thanksgiving. We're recording this on Monday, uh, gearing up for the Thanksgiving holiday, as is everyone else. We are doing some traveling over the holiday season, so we're flying to New York City, which a lot of people do a lot of traveling for the holidays, and we understand that. So if you're driving to your in-laws or your grandparents and you're listening to us, thank you. We hope to help keep you sane over the holiday season. So as you're going to your in-laws or your parents or wherever, just know we're praying for you. You're in our thoughts. You're in our prayers because we know traveling for the holidays and mingling with family, it's a scary situation, dude. You know, it really is. Um, The hardest thing about... Uh, you know, going to, you know, wherever you're going for the holidays is just getting the stinking Wi-Fi password. Like, that's all I want. And it turns into an ordeal because when you go into, like, your parents or your grandparents' house, they're old. They don't know what the Wi-Fi password is. I don't even know if they use Wi-Fi. They call it Wi-Fi. Who the heck knows? It's the number one struggle. I mean, I'm right, right? But then, you know, you have to realize, though, that if you're going to ask for that Wi-Fi password, you got to be careful because asking for the Wi-Fi password will open Pandora's electronics box because then before you know it, you'll be teaching everyone over the age of 65 how to use the internet, Facebook, Wi-Fi, and the whole nine because you've already brought up electronics. And because you're under the age of 35, people are going to use you and say, oh, can you show me how to do this? So be careful when asking for the Wi-Fi password. Wherever you go, Just be careful asking for that Wi-Fi password because they'll get you. And before you know it, you'll be a member of the Geek Squad running a full electronic internet tutorial. It's a scary place to be, my friend. You want zero part of it. So if you can, find the router. And sometimes they'll have the Wi-Fi password on the router and you can save yourself a ton of trouble. That way, if anyone asks you how to fix their electronics, you can just say, oh, well, I'm not really good at that stuff. And that needs to be your excuse because you have to realize when you're going to family's house, you have to have excuses lined up for anything that can get thrown at you. Like, can you show me my iPhone? No, I have an Android. Can you show me my Android? No, I have a flip phone. Like, don't show me that stuff, right? Because inevitably, just know that grandma has a VCR in the back room that she wants to watch some VCR tapes on, and you might get sucked into that too, so you've got to have an excuse for that. So you might say, oh, I've never had one of those before. I don't know what it is. And if that doesn't work... All you have to do, just start coughing uncontrollably and excuse yourself. That will get you out of anything electronic or if someone wants you to lift something heavy because they've been waiting for you to come over for the last 12 months and now like, you know, they want you to flip a mattress or move a dresser to the other side of the room. You're going to get asked those things too. And when that happens, just start coughing uncontrollably. Just start hacking your lungs up. And, um, you know, go straight for the bathroom and don't even say a word. Then they'll be like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with Quentin? They'll be like, I don't know. I think he's really sick. And then they'll feel really bad about asking you to do anything. And that's the best way to get out of family chores when you go see your family members. So um, use those, you know, line up your excuses if you can. You have to line up those excuses. Um, We hope that your Thanksgiving isn't too formal. You know, a lot of people celebrating Thanksgiving out there, they want their guests to dress up for Thanksgiving. Now, that's a bad idea. If, if I ever host Thanksgiving, 
I will encourage people to come over in sweatpants because the Thanksgiving I'm going to, I've, I've got to dress up nice. So I've got to wear um, dress pants and a sweater is what I've been told. My wife says, Quentin, you need to wear a sweater and you need to wear dress pants. Now that, oh, buddy, that's a problem. That's a huge problem for me because one, I sweat pretty much all of the time. Like I sweat like I'm being interrogated in an interrogation room in the Middle East, right? It's not good for me because I'm like a natural sweater. But then when I eat, I get after it when I eat, pal. Like I'm the Ferrari of eating. Like I don't mess around. I don't use my napkin. (laughs) Listen to this. I don't use my napkin to wipe food off my beard, right? I leave it, right? I use my napkin to wipe sweat off of my forehead because if there were ever... If there were ever a movie made about me, it would be called The Gluttonous Bastards. Kind of like a remix of Inglorious Bastards, where obviously I play the lead role that Brad Pitt plays. I kind of talk with an accent. And my main thing's not killing Nazis. My main thing is killing plates, son. And all I'm trying to do is listen, all I'm trying to do is kill plates of food. And that's it, man. I push it to the limit, right? Like the Scarface song push it to the limit. That's me eating, pal. I don't mess around. And I'm a little worried that I'm going to have to wear a sweater, which are very conducive to sweat. They're not moisture wicking and they're extremely, incredibly itchy. They're the Mona Lisa of itching. And then I have to wear dress pants. Dress pants aren't sweatpants. I need stretch. I need stretch around the waist, But I also need stretch around the crotch because I've got big thighs. And those thighs, they rub together like two sticks starting a fire by a caveman. So here's what's going to happen. My Thanksgiving day is going to be the equivalent of Kurt Schilling's bloody sock game. Because I'm going to be shoving food in my mouth. And instead of a blood stain on the sock, I'm going to have sweat stains on my chest, back, and armpits. And people are going to be able to see the commitment to which I'm eating because that's what's going to happen. And Thanksgiving 2018 is going to be called the sweat game because I'm going to be pouring and you're going to see it through me. I promise you it's going to be great. But... Enjoy your Thanksgiving, and we'll be praying for you over here from the Sweet Bee Studios. Um, Just get the kids there, man. Keep the blood in the body of the kids and just throw them out. Ignore them. If they can be locked outside in a, like, fenced-in area, that's great. You know, keep them away from the guns, too, because there's a pretty decent chance that someone's grandma has a 22 because grandma's a little crazy and she likes to shoot at squirrels and cats in the backyard. You know, the feral cats. So be careful with that because grandma might be a little loco with the ammo. So we'll just watch out for that. And dude, that's it. So happy Thanksgiving, guys. Let's get to the show. Alright guys, let's, um, well, 
I'd say we should probably get into some actual baseball talk now that we've went over Thanksgiving, the perils of Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving is essentially like going on the Oregon Trail, right? You have to worry about dysentery. And it's kind of like that with the baseball offseason, you know? Trying to like have like a social media post plan or plan a podcast, it's really difficult in the baseball offseason, especially in the part of the offseason we're in now because it's incredibly dead and there's just nothing going on, you know? My daily routine is probably a hundred times a day. I go to ESPN.com and I go to MLB.com and I wanna see what the top baseball stories are. And those baseball stories have not changed for like 14 days. Like we did get some MVP and some Rookie of the Year awards handed out, but those were all pretty predictable. So basically at this point, it's like the pinnacle of boring. Like this is awful. I'm going through heavy withdrawals. Like I used to be like some sort of crackhead and like I'm just itching my body all over because like baseball's leaving my system and I need it back in. So I'm going to try to give you some, <laughs> I'm going to try to give you some a baseball injection, I guess. I'm steroid free so our heads won't grow and we won't hit the baseball any further. But I've, I honestly just kind of want to talk about a couple baseball things to tide us over. The, uh, I'm going to try to help us like, right, get past this offseason because baseball offseason sucks, but also it is the holiday. So the first thing I want to talk about is Madison Bumgarner. Now, B- Madison Bumgarner, dude, is one of the most like – it's a very interesting situation. Like I don't really know what to think about it. And honest to God, there might not be anything to think about it, but it's something I want to explore because he's such an important pitcher, and he's also – Kind of like an under-the-radar pitcher right now because, um, you know, at the beginning of this 2018 season, he was injured because he got hit in the hand by a comebacker. And then in 2017, he had, like, the dirt bike incident. So we really haven't seen, like, prime-time Madison Bumgarner since 2016 when he pitched the shutout in the wild card game and pitched the NLDS against the Cubs. We haven't seen, you know, kind of what we... um, what we're used to with Madison Bumgarner, who's, you know, I always like to describe baseball players in terms of movies, and Madison Bumgarner is Doc Holliday and off Tombstone, and there's no better analogy to describe Madison Bumgarner than him being Doc Holliday, because when you watch Tombstone, Wyatt Earp is supposed to fight Johnny Ringo, but he knows he can't beat Johnny Ringo, and Johnny Ringo's going to kill him. So Doc Holliday, like, plays sick in bed because Doc has tuberculosis. So he's coughing up blood. Wyatt's going to fight, you know, to shoot out with Johnny Ringo, but all of a sudden, Doc Holliday shows up and kills Johnny Ringo, and the, the guy's got tuberculosis, but Doc Holliday is so clutch He's basically on his deathbed and kills Johnny Ringo in a duel, and it's the most amazing thing. So that is the perfect analogy for Madison Bumgarner, but also Tombstone's like a top five movie of all time, right? Put me on a desert island where I got nothing, and I know I want Tombstone and Days of Thunder, and then we'll get into the rest of the movies like on a different show, but that's all good stuff, dude. So... And the reason why I kind of bring up Madison Bumgarner is because the San Francisco Giants, dude, they're in a weird spot because, you know, they need to rebuild. The Giants have a really high payroll, but they have a lot of aging superstars. You know, they had their dynasty, you know, they won the World Series in 2010, 2012, and 2014. They signed all their top dogs, which was the right thing to do. 
And I love what the Giants did last year. You know, the Giants didn't sell off. The Giants bought, right? They made moves and got Andrew McCutcheon and Evan Longoria. And, you know, it was in uh, the offseason of 2015 that they got Jeff Samarja and Johnny Cueto. Like, this team goes down fighting, dude, which... And essentially, like, the whole San Francisco Giants organization's kind of like the guys off Tombstone because they're just going to go down guns ablaze. And so I commend what they've done. But, you know, Father Time's undefeated. So this whole San Francisco Giants thing, you know, it's at a crossroad. And with Madison Bumgarner, you know, if, if you're the San Francisco Giants, there's always that thing of, like, dude, like, Madison Bumgarner's our most valuable asset. Like, what could we get for the guy? And, you know, the Giants, they have a new general manager right now. He's the guy from uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And his work in L.A. has been phenomenal. You know, the proof's in the pudding when you go to two World Series in a row. That's very hard to do, you know. And I don't really care that the, that the, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers lost the last two World Series in a row, bud, because to get there tells you that they're the real deal, and there's really not anything that tells me that they can't go to the World Series next year. So there's no doubt that the GM, his name, his, I, I don't remember his name. Um, you have to Google that yourself. But obviously the proof's in the pudding. He's a good dude. So you can't help but to be in his situation and say, dude, like what could I get for this guy, right? Like I could really get some pieces. But when you're the San Francisco Giants, right, you're left with this thing of – uh all right, this guy's like top dog in San Francisco. Like if I get rid of this guy, it's going to be a PR nightmare. Like I can't get rid of him, you know? But um, so there are a lot of questions around that. Like would the fans get it? Would, would it be bad for business essentially? Because there's a human aspect to baseball um, in the stands and there's a human aspect of baseball in the clubhouse. So whether you do it or not, here's what I say. My focus on if Madison Bumgarner gets moved, isn't so much on the Giants shopping him. So if Madison Bumgarner stays a San Francisco Giant all through 2019, he'll be a free agent for the 2020 season, and the Giants could totally re-sign him, and they would probably want to re-sign him. There's, there's nothing about Madison Bumgarner getting older that screams disaster to me because his pitching style isn't really one that Father Time's going to beat up on, right? The way he pitches can withstand age. I really believe it. And it's not just because of, like, you know, what we've seen with CeCe Sabathia or John Lester. These are two guys that have changed their pitching style and have succeeded as they get older. And I for sure, like, know that Madison Bumgarner could do that. But also, right, the way Madison Bumgarner pitches – it's not one that's fully dependent on velocity, right? And if you look at like what Clayton Kershaw is doing, and I'm not talking about Clayton's postseason, but his regular season, right? Clayton has down velocity, and he's still one of the best pitchers in the game right now. And it's always kind of been because Clayton Kershaw's a stuff guy and not a speed guy. And you know Madison Bumgarner is the same way. So um, if if Madison Bumgarner stays the San Francisco Giant forever, that's great. And that's probably a great move for the Giants. But the rest of the 29 teams in Major League Baseball would be absolutely stupid not to, like, give up, like, a lot of what they can for Madison Bumgarner. And I say that because 
you know, there there are good pitchers uh, on the free agent market right now, but I don't think there are any that would put a team over the hump because, like, in my eyes, there are three teams. At, well, there are a lot. Every single team could use Madison Bumgarner. But when I was planning the podcast, there were three teams that came to mind, and I said, man, those guys could really use a bump, right? Like, we got to get over this hump. And, you know, like the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Yankees, and the Philadelphia Phillies, they need to get over a bump. And Madison Bumgarner could be the perfect guy for that. So, you know, especially if I'm those three teams, I want to push the envelope. And, you know, I almost would want to make the San Francisco Giants an offer they couldn't refuse and see if I could get Madison Bumgarner, right? So if I paint this picture... um, and here's the reason why, like, there could be more teams, but I picked these three teams as, like, my top three teams that could use him immediately next season because there would be a really high chance that if you got Madison Bumgarner for 2019, like, if your team traded for him, he could end up leaving after the season and never coming back and going straight to San Francisco. Right? See, Madison Bumgarner is definitely the type of guy to stay with the organization forever. Like, he's just that dude. And... He, there's no reason to believe that he would ever leave San Francisco because they've proved to be a winning culture while he's been there. So if your team's going to make a move for Bumgarner and they would only have him for one year, it's the teams like the Brewers, Yankees, and the Phillies who would benefit from it, right? Because if you look at the Milwaukee Brewers, even though they won the division this past season, well, it took him 163 games to do it. And, you know, heading into 2019, the Cubs are still going to be the favorite for that division, And it's likewise in the American League East. The Yankees are a loaded team and they won 100 games, but they still didn't win their division and they didn't get past the divisional round because the Boston Red Sox are the Boston Red Sox, bro. They're like the serial killer that just keeps coming back like Michael Myers. And, you know, when you when you sit in that lineup and you've got like Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez and then you get to the bottom part of it, you've got like Steve Pierce, the lineup's relentless, dude. So it you you have to get over a bump if you're going to win the American League East. And honestly, it's kind of like that with the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, you've got a team in the Atlanta Braves that they're better than the Phillies, man. They just are. And they're likely to be better next year if the Phillies, you know, don't make a let's get over the bump move. And then that's when I look at Bumgarner, right? And you could look at the Phillies and say, oh, crap, if they have Aaron Nola, Madison Bumgarner, and Jake Arrieta, that's good company to keep, especially if you want to win a division. And, uh, you know, they could really use it because the Phillies have that Atlanta Braves bump to get over. So you've got your, your Phillies, your Yankees, and your Brewers who have a bump to get over. And when I look at Madison Bumgarner, he's like the ultimate guy to help your team get over the bump because in playoff baseball, he's like Shawn Michaels in WrestleMania, right? Like a phenomenal record, doesn't get beat. He's like Michael Jordan of pitchers, right? He's just as clutch as MJ in the finals, pushing Brian Russell back and hitting that last second jumper to win title number six. That's Madison Bumgarner, dude. And he's the ultimate guy to help your team get over a bump. So the, you know, the Yankees are going to need something special, to get over that Boston Red Sox bump. And, you know, the pitchers on the market for free agents, okay? You have Dallas Keuchel, Patrick Corbin, Nate Evaldi, Ground Chuck Charlie Morton, 
Lance Lynn, Gio Gonzalez, J.A. Happ. Okay? Those are some free agent pitchers. Those are your best ones. Right? There ain't a one of those guys that screams to me, dude, we just added him to the staff, and now we can get past the Red Sox, or now we can get past the Braves, or now we can get past the Cubs. Like, there's not one. So you're probably going to have to trade for a guy, right? That would make sense. Well, so for the trade market, dude, so the, the New York Mets, they intend to contend in 2019. So you're not getting Noah Syndergaard and you're not getting Jacob deGrom unless you just give them the most lopsided, dumbest deal in the world. Essentially, if your team's going to contend and you want Noah Syndergaard, you would have to trade away so many players to where your team wouldn't be able to contend anymore. So those guys are off the market. And I know like Corey Kluber could be on the trading block at some point. So Corey Kluber like kind of would be included in that like get us over the bump. But you know, if my life depends upon a guy taking the mound and dominating the team to save my life, right? My do or die pitcher, my life on the line pitcher out of all the pitchers in major league baseball right now, it's Madison Bumgarner. And rarely, I do nobody else is gonna say that because you know, we've seen Madison Bumgarner's past two seasons. You know, his his whip's up, his velocity's down, his pitch mix is a little weird, possibly cause his velocity's down. He um his earned run average was a little bumped up this year. He might be walking a little more guys. But see, I don't worry about that because I know Madison Bumgarner, right? And when you look at him and you say, well, he was hurt in 2017 because of the dirt bike accident, was hurt in 2018 because of the comebacker that hit him in the hand. Well, it's only natural because he missed so much time that his numbers would be a little lower, right? I mean, that only makes sense because think if you're hurt and you go through what Madison Bumgarner did, your numbers can either go up, stay the same, or go down. Well, there's no reason why those numbers would ever go up. For them to stay the same would really be asking for a lot because you're uprooting a whole pitcher's routine. You're giving him less time to train, which, you know, because he's hurt and he's got less time to train, he's going to lose strength in his arm, which means the velo would go down, which means like the whole flux capacitor of everything's like kind of messed up. So his numbers dipped. But pitching to a 3.36 ERA, like if that's a dip and that's as bad as it got for him being hurt the past two seasons, aren't we doing pretty damn good? You know, I'm not worried so much about it. So for a life on the line pitcher, obviously recency bias is going to be like, give me Verlander. But I like Madison Bumgarner in the trenches, man. Like I like Madison Bumgarner drawing that gun on Johnny Ringo and being like, I'm your Huckleberry and knocking it out of the park. So, you know, he, he's my guy, man. And it, it's for that reason that I look at Bumgarner and I look at those teams that are like on the brink that need a really big move to say, hey, you know, I would probably see what see if I could get Bumgarner before I see if I can get Kluber because Bumgarner, there's no doubt in my mind that Bumgarner can still do what he did in 2016 and 2015 and 2014 and what he's done his whole career. He's He's got those guts, dude, where the bigger the stage, he's just going to do it. And you can't look at Madison Bumgarner in normal terms, right? You can't judge Bumgarner on 
his data and his war and his velo because he's such a different monster when the postseason comes. Like, he's like the cute little gremlin dude on gremlins, like in the regular season. But when the postseason comes, he's eating past midnight and turning into a monster. That's that's what it is, dude. So I, I you know. It's probably it's probably not going to happen, but honestly, if you're any of those three teams I just named, it's you know the Brewers, the uh, the Yankees, or the Phillies. It's a huge mistake for you not to just see what you have to give up to get this guy. And you know, if you feel like you gave up kind of a lot, that's probably what he's worth because I think he'll do it, man. And I know for sure the Brewers, the Phillies, and the uh, the Yankees, man, they have prospects to get him. And, you know, you ask yourself, so a big question is, well, if you're a Red, if you're a San Francisco Giants fan, do you endorse the move to get rid of Bumgarner, right? It's a little logical question. And, you know, my answer to that is this. You know, if, if, if you love Madison Bumgarner as an athlete and as a competitor, you'll probably love him if he goes to compete somewhere else because you would not want to see his prime years wasted in a three- to four-year San Francisco Giants window. Now, and Madison Bumgarner is also probably very like Charlie Huff, where he could pitch till he's 45, kind of like Nolan Ryan. So in that sense, like you would probably go ahead and keep him anyway. Um, so if, if I were a Giants fan, I think I would be okay with them moving Bumgarner because I know in my heart that the only way the Giants would do it if they were just getting a crop of stud prospects back because they would never let Madison Bumgarner go for nothing. So in that sense, I think I would be cool with it. But then also, I want to see one of my favorite baseball players compete on a big stage, kind of no matter who he's with, because I look at Madison Bumgarner like this, dude. He's just like your simplest, like easygoing guy from North Carolina, and to see him do like these superhuman things on the biggest stages in baseball, dude, it's really something to see because you know who he is, right? Like big contracts and World Series rings, like he doesn't change. He like lassos cattle in the offseason and like kills rattlesnakes to survive, dude. And like just to see that. And, you know, I'm not an advocate of players going to the Yankees. I just don't like it. Um, I don't know if playing for the Yankees is is really kind to guys that come from the outside and go there. I'm I'm always one to think that big names either signing or getting traded to smaller good baseball markets. I feel like those players do better, right? So I always feel like any player would do better in Chicago or St. Louis as opposed to New York, right? I always kind of feel like that. Because just that that market's tough, man. It really is. But, you know, if you're a Yankee, you win. So you can't really bash a player for going to the Yankees because you're always going to be put in a spot to win. And playing for the Yankees is like the baseball equivalent of winning an Oscar, dude. Like if you're there, you're playing on the highest level. And that's why players go to the Yankees and sometimes don't perform as well because Playing for the Yankees, even though because it's within Major League Baseball, being a Yankee is the highest level to play on in Major League Baseball. It just is. I don't. If you're a Red Sox fan and you're like shaking your head, damn it, you know it's true deep down because I'm not a Yankees fan, but I mean it's true. Those are facts. 
And if Bumgarner would be the only guy that would go to the Yankees, that I would be excited to see him pitch on that big stage because to me, he's the ultimate big stage pitcher. And I'd see him on that stage and be like, damn it, this is going to be some good baseball. Let's watch it go, man. It would be exciting baseball for sure. Um, but I think that's kind of really all I have on, you know, the kind of the Madison Bumgarner thing. That was kind of a story that's not really popping this off season, but I think it's something that, that teams should explore. I think teams for, for sure should look a little closely at Madison Bumgarner and, you know, give up more than what they think they should give up because I think Bumgarner's worth it. And I also, you know, obviously if Bumgarner gets traded, it would likely be, you know, trade deadline move. But I think there would be a lot of benefit in it of getting Bumgarner in the offseason and having him on your team during the whole season because you can establish first place. A move to get Bumgarner in the offseason would obviously be especially important for the New York Yankees because they could grab up first place because it's really important that the Yankees win first place in the AL East this year if they want to win a World Series because those wild card games, dude, they take a toll on you, dude, on the players. You know, it's an extra day of travel. It kind of messes up your pitching rotation and your bullpen. And then when all of that stuff is kind of cattywampus and you have to go into the postseason when your bullpen's a little weird and your starters are a little weird because they got used in weird ways, nothing ever has time to kind of reset. And so, and for that same reason with the Brewers and the Phillies, I think it could be very beneficial to make that move and get your guy in the offseason and have him for the whole year. So keep your eyes on Bumgarner, dude. I think it could be a, a great story as the uh, the MLB offseason unfolds. And um, I hope to see Bumgarner pitching in some sort of meaningful baseball very, very soon. All right. So the last thing that I want to talk about on this show is the Manny Machado debacle. Now, there are two big free agents um, if you haven't heard, it's Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, and those are the guys, man. Those are the dudes that are on the market that are that are going to command the most money. They're both super young. Um, I'm wanting to say Bryce just maybe turned 26 and Manny's 25. Actually, might have that backwards, but either way, they're young dudes. They're young dudes, and it's huge because young guys like this, they're not free agents very often, especially, you know, because it's not often a guy comes in and is 19 or 20 and starts playing ball and is super productive. And that's the only way that you can become a free agent this early on is to come up when you're 19, play full seasons and be productive and not get called back down because it's all about service time. So, and it ends up being the perfect storm because to have this in the same season is huge. You know, hopefully it's going to be a pretty entertaining winner. And, you know, the the free agent talk between these two guys alone, hopefully will keep us busy throughout the winter. And, you know, uh, hopefully before we know it, pitchers and catchers will be reporting. So that'll be, that'll be cool. But, you know, the, the main story with this whole Manny Machado thing is the postseason that he just finished. Now, he's, uh, he's a bit of an ornery guy. He um, stepped on a few guys at first base, had a couple questionable slides into second. And I say questionable because I embrace the contact that happens at second base. You know, safe contact is possible. And safe contact is always what's likely to happen. There's very rarely... Uh, a malicious slide at second base that's 
um, you know, irresponsible and could injure someone. It doesn't happen a lot. None of Manny slides were that. You know, it wasn't about him injuring people, but it was about the way he would slide into second base. There's one slide in particular that I have in my head during the postseason that Manny Machado slid into second base like he was playing a game of Twister. There was like a foot here and a hand here. And you look at that and you're like, what the hell? Like, is, is something wrong with the guy? Like, did, like, did his brain literally fart? Like, what is he doing, you know? He, um, on a backswing, hit a few different catchers during the postseason. Didn't really apologize for it. He, he's the opposite of Shohei Otani, right? One of the reasons why I love Shohei Otani is just respect he has for the game and the way he uh, respects others as well. And that's not a prerequisite for me playing baseball at all. You know, I don't, uh, I'm not much for like the old school play the game the right way, but it is refreshing to see Otani play it because when he plays, it's not, he doesn't play because he's like trying to have respect for the game. He's not trying to play like he's falling in line, but uh, Shohei Otani just plays with such joy in the game. You just see it in the way he acts. And that's that's the best way I would actually describe it. Shohei Otani plays the game with such joy, it overflows in how he interacts with other people. Now, Manny Machado is quite the opposite. When it got to the back end of October and I watched Manny Machado play, it's like I just wasn't too sure that he actually wanted to be here and play baseball. It was as if he just wished he was back in Baltimore where they don't really make the postseason. They lost 109 games, and he just kind of wanted to go home at the end of September. So that was really, really strange to me, kind of uh, how he, you know, handled himself in this situation. So the number one question I'll start with is, should general managers that are looking to sign Manny Machado, should they take his Johnny Hustle comment seriously when he said that, um, he, he wasn't the Johnny Hustle type, that that wasn't his cup of tea, and it just wasn't his thing. And there were multiple plays in the regular season to where he uh, he, he looked like he, he was straight up lollygagging, like he just didn't really give a crap. And uh, to, to say that he didn't hustle would be kind of like an overstatement. Like he was like basically walking to first base. And I, the first time I saw it, why I thought it was like super disrespectful was the Walker Bueller start in the uh, World Series, actually, where Walker, you know, busted his ass in the World Series. Um, he had the pitch count that Walker Bueller had in that game was more pitches than he had ever thrown in his career in a Major League Baseball game. So, you know, and Walker Bueller's a guy that's already had Tommy John. So I, I took that as, like, Walker Bueller's out here putting his body on the line for his team, and Manny Machado can't even run the first base. So, listen, Manny Machado played 162 games last season. He, Manny's a hard worker, right? But that play in itself pissed me off, and it would probably piss a clubhouse, a clubhouse off. So... Does a GM need to, like, really take that hustle comment to heart? No, I don't think so. It's not the hustle I'm concerned with, and, you know, it's not the backswings that hit the catchers or him stepping on Jesus Aguilar and Steve Pierce at first base. Those, like, that's the smoke. That's all the smoke with how Manny Machado possibly felt on this big stage. 
What I'm most con- I'm not concerned with those external things that happened, like the backswing or stepping on the first baseman or not hustling. What I'm more concerned with is why he was doing that, right? Manny Machado's only played in Baltimore, so Baltimore's not the same market as the Los Angeles Dodgers. Sure as hell not the New York Yankees, not the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, out east markets are pretty cutthroat in the sense of you're on the big you're on a big stage, right? Even the Yankees, they're the biggest stage in all of baseball. But anytime you play for a team out east, like Philly, Boston, or New York, either New York team, you're you're playing in a completely different environment because baseball out there is bigger than it is anywhere else. And the fans, uh, they're pretty passionate about what, what they do and what they say, right? And so what really makes me nervous and what I would want to know about Manny Machado is I wouldn't sit Manny down and say, hey, man, like, are you going to hustle for us? I would want to go deeper within Manny and figure out why he was doing what he was doing because with Manny Machado, he was put in a situation that he had never been in before. And this is how he reacted, right? So Manny was on a big stage deep into the playoffs, had played games late into October like he never had, was on television when he never had, playing in front of big, raucous crowds that he never had. This was a new situation for Manny Machado. And what we saw were all the side effects of how he handled it in his mind, right? So this is how he reacted to being on a big stage. And that's my number one concern. So if I'm a GM and I'm talking to Manny Machado, I want to figure out kind of like what his mindset was during the 2018 postseason, kind of how he felt. Because if I can ask those questions, that's going to tell me if he can be part of my clubhouse or not. Because you can't be super hard on Manny Machado because he's only 25. And to put him in that situation that he was just in this past season and think that he's going to handle it completely perfect, you're at, you, you would for sure be asking too much of the kid. And it, it would be completely unfair to say, well, that's just who he is. Don't want him on my team. No. It's important for whatever GM might sign him to figure out what his mindset was and who he is as a person and who he was in that situation. And then that will tell me as a general manager, hey, can I have him in this clubhouse and him do better? Because before this postseason, unless you were like a Red Sox fan or kind of like deep in that division, no one really had a problem with Manny Machado, but he got on the national stage and kind of just shit the bed with how he handled it, which is okay. Again, still a young guy. I want to know if he can build from it and fix it and move on from it and become a better player because here's what I'm getting at. Manny Machado has always been a great player. And to now look at Manny with what he's been through and how he was in this very, very important, huge situation, bigger moment than he had ever been in his life, and to look at it and say, well, he handled that like crap next That is the wrong way to look at it because right now you've got to know that Manny Machado is better right now for what he just went through. And if you don't like Manny now, it's the wrong time to dislike Manny Machado because in this moment, he's never been better than what he is right now. And the reason why I say that is the only way 
anyone's going to grow, whether you're an athlete or running a podcast or working at your job, the only way you can ever grow is to fall flat on your face because you can't learn from something if you've never been through something. So right now, Manny Machado is the best baseball player he's ever been because of what he's just been through. So at this point, that's what a GM needs to look at. A GM needs to look at Manny Machado, who he's been, what he just went through, and project, hey, who can he be? Because Manny Machado has just been through the worst part of his career as far as possibly how he felt because we see how he handled certain things and his actions. And I've got to look at this and go, Manny Machado is a phenomenal generational infielder, both with the glove and with the bat, don't care if he's at third or don't care if he's at short. He's a dude. So now I just saw him get drugged through the mud and completely beaten down. And now I look at Manny and say, you had this phenomenally gifted athlete who's just been through some real shit, who's probably learned a ton. So thank you, LA. I want him on my team. And for that reason, I say to this, do I look at the Manny Machado, the hustle comments, and him, you know, hitting the catcher on his backswing and stepping on a first baseman and the slides to second? Do I look at that as a bad thing and a negative? I don't, because you've got to look deeper into it and say, hey, man, he did that for a reason because he had never been on the stage before. He had only played in Baltimore. Now you've got this phenomenally gifted, intelligent athlete who's been through some stuff and learned so much. It's as if now he's Goku and he's Super Saiyan, and you're like, whoa, we might really have something good on our hands here. So for that reason, I am still all in on Manny Machado more so than ever because I stand by my word. Manny Machado is a better player right in this moment than he's ever been in his career. So to move on him, if you're a team like the Philadelphia Phillies, no hesitation whatsoever because the Philadelphia Phillies need that defense so bad because their defense is awful. If the Phillies had a good defense last year, they probably would have made the postseason. Manny Machado would be leaps and bounds because they had no offensive production on the left side of the infield, and Manny Machado is so flexible, I know Gabe Kapler would look at that and just get so pumped and flex his oiled up muscles because Gabe Kapler, like, he coaches that way. He's a new age coach, and to have this Manny Machado who's so flexible and versatile, you're just kind of like, oh, crap, because, like, check this out, dude. So Manny's shortstop stats last season, like in defensive runs saved and all that stuff, they were in the toilet, but when you're judging defensive runs saved and like UZR and stuff like that, you can't take that over a one-year span because defensive stats don't work like that. If, if you're going to use analytics and like defensive runs saved and UZR and judge an athlete on that, you need like three to four years worth at least to make a determination. So you can look at those shortstop numbers and take the eye test and say, well, his negative defensive analytics for 2018 don't match the eye test because I can watch Manny and say, oh shit, he played shortstop really good because he played shortstop really good. Manny Machado is the hardest throwing shortstop in all of major league baseball, which is great from a defensive standpoint. So the fact that Manny Machado played shortstop in the minors, got to the big leagues and he had to play third base because the Orioles already had a shortstop in JJ Hardy. 
And then for this past season, to him to go back to shortstop once he had played third for like the past four seasons and do what he did is amazing. And that screams versatility, and that's what you want in a major league baseball player. So if you're a team like the Phillies or anyone, you're getting an extremely versatile guy who just picked up shortstop again after playing third base for his whole career and was pretty damn good at it. And he throws so hard. He can play so deep at shortstop and because he's got such a cannon and he's the hardest throwing shortstop in all of baseball. That means he's more versatile because he can play back. He can shift and do whatever. He's got a great arm and he does have a great glove. So that versatility combined with what Manny's been through as an athlete and how I believe he's grown, you've got to be all in on Manny Machado 100%. Absolutely, without a doubt. Teams he could go to that I looked at, like obviously the Phillies, the Phillies, listen, dude, the Phillies have so much money. They have the potential to sign Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, right? Does the world explode if the Phillies sign both of these guys? Yeah, probably does. Philadelphia Phillies, they're going to be must-watch baseball anyway because no matter what, the Philadelphia Phillies get one of these two guys. Pal, if they get both of them, oh, that would be so fun to watch in baseball. It would be bonkers. But the if they whatever, the Phillies are going to get one of them. I think the Phillies could very well end up getting Machado because they just need him so damn bad. He's going to be worth the money because he's so young. John Middleton, the Phillies owner, said like three days ago that he was looking to spend stupid money, which has got to be music to your ears if that's your baseball team and the general manager of your... Oh, shit. John Middleton's the Phillies owner. And so when your owner of your favorite baseball team is saying, we're about to spend stupid money, you got to feel good about that. That's like Christmas early, dude. And this team needs a defense so bad. Jake Arrieta, the way he pitches, heavy ground ball guy now, he needs a great defense. So when you add Manny Machado from an offensive standpoint, he affects one through nine in that batting order because his bat, his bat is so dominant. You're talking an over 300 hitter who can hit for power. But on top of that, your pitching is going to improve. Because Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta, they're not strikeout guys. So putting a top-notch defense behind them and doing that and having the left side of the infield taken care of at third and short, wherever Manny plays, and if they can continue to reinforce these positions, you're getting better pitching at this point. So Manny Machado to the Phillies could be more valuable than Manny Machado going anywhere else just because of the Phillies' needs and because of the Phillies' pitchers and how the pitching needs a good defense behind him. And the way Nola and Arietta pitch, they would benefit so much from that defense. It would be unbelievable. As far as the Yankees getting Manny Machado, we know Manny wants to play for the Yankees. I do have a bit of a concern with him going to New York because of the the experience that Manny Machado just had. And we sit back and say, hey, did he learn from this? And can he improve in a situation like this? Because in such a big market, when you're playing for the Yankees, oftentimes players that go to the Bronx, they're kind of not the same guys because New York is the highest level that you can play on in Major League Baseball. You understand? And Sonny Gray got eaten alive, and Brian Cashman is straight up. We got to move Sonny. And when we move Sonny to a different team, he'll be a great pitcher again. He just can't pitch here. So my biggest concern with Manny coming to New York is – Oh, man, are we going to get more of that playoff Manny? Or has he fully 
learned from what happened to him to play in the Bronx with success. That's going to be my number one concern. And so when I look at the Yankees and I take that concern combined with, well, I've got Miguel Anderhart third, Didi at second when he comes back from Tommy John, then Glaber, or Didi at short when he comes back from Tommy John, then Glaber at second. I've uh, well, I've got a good, I've got a good defense, right? I've got good infielders, and I don't necessarily need a shortstop. But where that comes into play is Miguel Andahar is a crappy third baseman, and they had thought about moving Miguel Andahar to first base because there's that whole Greg Bird, Luke Voigt situation at first, where you had Luke Voigt who uh, had a phenomenal back half of the regular season and postseason. We don't know if he's that guy yet. And we know Miguel Andahar is that guy who can hit the baseball, bat over 300, good homers, good doubles, ton of extra base hits. Miguel Andahar, he's an extra base hit kind of guy. And to know if you could put Miguel Andahar at first and then Didi at short, if Manny will play third for a buku amount of money at the Bronx and then Glaber at second, whoa. Boston better watch out because at that point, if the Yankees were to add a top-tier number one pitcher, hey, we all got problems. So, like, Manny going to the Yankees is way more risky than what it is in Philly because there's no doubt in my mind that Manny can conquer Philly, but him conquering the Bronx is a bit of a concern to me because I just saw what happened in 2018. But that does go back to my previous statement of being a GM and digging into Manny and figuring out who he is as a person, why he did what he did. I'm not so much worried about the act of not hustling or the act of stepping on the first baseman. I want to know the why behind it. And that's going to tell me so much more and who he is as an athlete for sure. Other teams, obviously if you're any baseball team, you could use Manny Machado. Um, If Manny Machado went to the White Sox, you know, the White Sox are in that position to where they just, you know, full rebuild, got a bunch of uh, rookies in there, a bunch of young guys who could use some guidance. And that goes back to Manny have just been through a huge situation and going to a World Series. The White Sox are in that situation right now to where they're about to start signing vets. You know, they're about to start signing big names because they need these big names as a catalyst to bring these young kids up and fire them up. And that's when the puzzle pieces all start to connect and you've got a good team in front of you. So I look at this and I say, well, who would be that guy if I'm the White Sox, you know, Machado or Harper? Well, the White Sox aren't going to have their their choosing. You know, the White Sox are a bit of a smaller franchise. I mean, they, they play in a huge market, but they're kind of known as the Cubs' little brother. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I see a big name going to the White Sox, but I mean, no one ever thinks of the White Sox like, oh, the White Sox are going to be big players, you know? I mean, ESPN forgets about the White Sox all the time. But Ricky Renteria, the White Sox manager, and Rick Hahn, the White Sox GM, they're phenomenal guys. So if you look at the White Sox and say, well, shit, they can't sign Harper or they can't sign Machado – it's not true because this isn't Hawks White Sox team. This is a smarter, better, way more put together White Sox team with guys like Michael Kopech, Carlos Rodon, Lucas Giolito, um, Tim Anderson, Yoan Mankata, Eloy Jimenez, Avi Garcia. Like you've got guys on this team that Adam Engel, up and coming names on this team. And when you factor in what they've built plus who the GM and manager are, those are guys that baseball players would want to play for. So 
Would I see Manny Machado going to the White Sox? Absolutely, because he can be a leader there because he's been through so much. The south side of Chicago, Manny can conquer, and it could just project them, you know, to to where they need to be. The White Sox aren't going to be great this season, but I'll tell you this, the White Sox could win the AL Central in 2019, right? The the Chicago Bears are first in the – they're first – in the NFC uh, Central right now, right? The uh, th- that's what they are in the NFC Central. The uh, the Bears are first. No one probably saw that coming. That can happen with the Southside White Sox. I'm telling you, man, it can happen because um, the Indians are on the way down. Sox are on the way up. So of course he could go to the White Sox because Rick Hahn's also not afraid to spend money. Um, other teams. So Jim Duquette was a VP of Baseball Ops, like in Baltimore. So this Jim Duquette guy has known Manny Machado since he was 19. And Jim Duquette says that he really likes Manny Machado in St. Louis and thinks St. Louis would be the best market and the best team for Manny Machado to go to, um, stating that Manny's flexibility would fit in very well with that team and that culture. And also because St. Louis is a good baseball town. St. Louis might be the best baseball city to play in that's not the Chicago Cubs because I'm a Cubs fan, so I have to give that disclaimer out there. But just so you know, because I'm a Cubs fan, I have all the respect for the market that the Cardinals play in, and Cardinals fans treat their players so good. It's a great clubhouse. It's a well-built clubhouse. It is such a well-built culture over there. And for this Jim Duquette guy to say, you know, this former – VP of Baseball Ops in Baltimore, who's known Manny since he was 19 to say, hey, man, combined with the culture, Manny's flexibility, the baseball town, the fans, everything that St. Louis has going on, that would be the best spot for Manny. And that's huge. Whether the Cardinals would match, you know, the highest offer, because where the problem lies is knowing how Manny Machado thinks as a person to say, well, no matter what, the Phillies can probably outspend anyone. So does that mean that there's no way that Manny Machado goes to St. Louis? I don't know. It all depends on how much money Machado might command, which is going to be based on how much Bryce Harper commands, and that's going to kind of set the tone because Bryce is somehow going to get paid more regardless, even though in a lot of circles – in like in baseball circles, like higher up GM president guys that believe Manny's your better complete player, but still somehow Bryce is going to get more money. But it's because of Bryce's star power and how how much he can you know make your team better financially. You know because the Washington Nationals before they got Bryce, they were worth um, oh shoot four hundred and eighty million. And now they're worth $2 billion. So Bryce Harper essentially helped a billion and a half increase in value for the Washington Nationals because he's such a superstar. So that's probably why he'll get more money. But Jim Duquette saying that he would fit so well in St. Louis, you know, he kind of compared possibly, it seemed to be that he kind of liked St. Louis as a comparable city to Baltimore. And, you know, kind of because... Maybe St. Louis is a smaller city 
but a really good baseball town. That's why Manny would flourish and do so well because it's like Baltimore. It's this really good baseball city, but it's a smaller market. And it's more manageable. And we saw Manny in the postseason, which I've just alluded to. So St. Louis would also be a great place for him to play. But um, yeah, you know, it would, it would be a huge move for them for sure. Anything I oh Jim Duquette also said that he felt the St. Louis Cardinals were a top three or four team to land Manny Machado. So, you know, that's um that's also something to think about as well. And just, you know, a lot of what makes St. Louis good is um, you know, it's an easy buy-in in St. Louis for new guys that come there because it is a proven culture, and there's also a lot of guaranteed postseason success there because of the St. Louis Cardinal system and, you know, what you're going to get there. And so to say that, you know, is Manny an automatic Philly, it, it, it's hard to say. You know, I did say in the last podcast that I didn't think Bryce Harper was an automatic Philly. And I kind of think I feel that way too for Manny because we, how he handled the 2018 postseason, we don't know what his reaction is going to be. He might sit back and say, I don't know if I want to put myself in that big market situation again, which throws in a team like the White Sox or the Cubs where he can, or excuse me, the White Sox or the Cardinals. Um, But, you know, who really knows? Like I said, trying to talk, trying to predict all this like free agency, MLB hot stove, trade rumor stuff, it's impossible to do. It's like shutting your eyes and trying to walk across a highway that's just like with cars zooming by it. It's, it's, it's an impossible thing to do. It's like, I, I feel like, yes, yeah, Sylvia Brown on those old like Montel Williams shows, just kind of throwing out predictions out there, throw some stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. But hey, I'm going to do my best out here. So chances are, if you play this podcast six months from now, it could be completely wrong, but I don't know if it will be because, um, no, they're just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It might be, it might not be. We'll, we'll never know until it sees, but It'll uh, be pretty exciting to watch this thing unfold. Um, let me see if I got anything else we might want to talk about. No, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. I guess really I just want to say that I'm not worried at all about Manny's defense. Um, not so much worried about the hustle comment, but I think, you know, a pretty good um, observation. Anyone I've talked to, um, I work with a guy that's watched uh, Baltimore Orioles baseball forever, and he's watched Manny Machado for the last, whatever, four or five years. And he seems to think kind of the same, you know, along the lines of this, that you really can't take that stuff to heart, that Manny was kind of in a situation he had never been in before. And when it comes down to it, Manny Machado is a hardworking baseball player, and that you can't deny. But we'll wrap this thing up, man. Show's over, dudes. Thanks for listening. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're almost to wherever you're going to be. Um, so eat a ton of food, a ton of food and oh shoot, when you're vegging, after you've eaten all your food and if you're like vegging hardcore, uh, like on the couch or the recliner and you're on Facebook, find us on Facebook, which is, um, at greatest on dirt. You can find us on Instagram at greatest show on dirt and you can find us at Twitter at greatest on dirt. If any of that gets confusing, if you just search the greatest show on dirt baseball podcast on any of those, you'll find us. But just remember Twitter and Facebook are at greatest on dirt. Instagram, greatest show on dirt. Um, if you leave us a positive review on Facebook or iTunes or Google Play, so if you're vegging and don't have anything to do, leave us a review. 
Facebook, iTunes, Google Play. Send us a screenshot of that review. So slide into our DMs. Don't send us like any like naked pictures. Just the review. Just just send us a review, dude, of the uh, review you left, and we'll send you some free stickers. So it'll be kind of our way to say like Merry Early Christmas. So we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review. And I would love to send anyone who's listened to this a sticker who um, kind of kind of enjoys the show a little bit. Um, yeah, just leave us a five star review. Leave us a comment. Screenshot it. Uh, get that comment to us through DMs. Leave it on our Facebook wall. We don't really care. You can send it to us on Instagram. And we'd love to send you some stickers just to say Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, just to say thanks for listening because, you know, we've kind of just finished our first full baseball season doing a podcast. And um, I'm just super thankful and super happy for anyone that listens to the show. We don't have a really big crowd that does it. I think we're only running maybe like... 540 Twitter followers, maybe like 1,500 people on Facebook, and Instagram's pretty new to us, I think at like 137, um, so I'm just super thankful, and just can't say thank you enough for anyone that's listening, and I would love to send you guys some free stickers, so just uh, let me know how you like the show, we'll send you some stickers, but other than that, thanks for listening, happy Thanksgiving, you guys have a good one.